Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself if you dare. Come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Well, well, well. It seems this is turning into a real nasty habit for you, isn't it? Of course, we don't judge here at the Horror Hill... And with so many fine indulgences, far be it from me to postpone gratification. So make yourself comfortable, but don't forget to turn off the lights. This particular addiction is best fed in darkness. From author Drew Stepek, I give you chapters 11 through chapters 15 and the continuation of Knuckle Supper. (laughs) 
Chapter 11 Mutes I felt that I might have acted a little impulsively by crippling the Desian. At the end of the day, it should have been Des who caught the brunt of my anger. It was just like him not to show up, knowing how pissed off I was. It was always such a chicken shit when it came to facing the music. Chicken shit kid. He sent his peasants to feel my wrath rather than admit to me that he was fucking paid. The way I looked at it, the line at that point was clearly drawn between the young and the old and the knucklers. They fucked with one of mine, and I fucked with one of theirs. The kid would eventually die. If a vampire wasn't able to feast, stalk, and kill to support their habits, they dried up. I had to face the facts. What right did Des have to live more than bait? After all, she actually was a legitimate living creature. We just... were. I opened the front door to my place and wasn't greeted with the usual slobber hose from Leroy and Skillet. I hoped Bait had taken everything I said to heart. Just then, a funny image went through my mind. Bait being pulled around Union Station by the two dumb dogs, trying desperately to purchase tickets out of Dodge for the three of them. I called out as I locked the door behind me. Bait? I rounded the hallway toward the bathroom. The two dogs, their tremendous bodies fully stretched across the floor, scrunched their snouts under the bathroom door. They had scratched the hell out of the white door to get in, but obviously Bate was too tied up in her web of lies to let them in. As I got closer, I noticed that both dogs were also frantically licking the floor. I wasn't shocked, nor did I find anything out of the ordinary about their behavior, as they proved earlier that they had no problem tongue-kissing my diarrhea-soaked pant leg. It was safe to say that they would drink and eat anything. I crossed my bedroom and saw her precious bath mat on the floor next to my bed, empty. Bait, where are you? I dropped my change and a handful of the Desian's fingertips on my dresser and proceeded back down the hall to my bathroom. Was I too hard on her? Hardly, I told myself. She put herself in danger's way from day one. Everything about her living with me and mooching off me was a lie. I looked down at the dogs before I politely knocked on the bathroom door. I slid Leroy and Skillet out of the way with the outsides of my boots. They weren't licking water or poop at all. It was blood. Bait, what are you doing? Go away, she faintly huffed. I snapped the knob off and slid the door open. And there she was, sitting upright with her back against the tub. She had her pants down to her ankles and between her legs were the remains of a smashed two-liter bottle of Pepsi, drenched in blood. On top of the bottle was a cinder block that came from the backyard. The bathtub overflowed, funneling the mess into the mouths of the two junkyard hounds on the other side of the door. They didn't immediately run to save the day. They were far too stupid and scared. I grabbed the cinder block and heaved it down the hallway behind me, past the dogs. Instantly, I bent down to pull the bottle out of her. Blood and what appeared to be some lining from her uterus bubbled out. When it was removed, the carbonation created a chemical reaction causing a science fair explosion. Stop! She grabbed at the bottle, trying to reinsert it. I nabbed a bunch of towels from under the sink. Stop what? What are you doing? 
I started patting at the area, trying desperately to dam the floodgates and prevent the continual blood loss. I didn't have time to think about what she was trying to accomplish, but I was sure it wasn't a cliché teenage suicide attempt. It was beyond a cry for attention. I wrapped her body in towels like a mummy after I ripped off her pants and her drenched shirt. Out of here! I snapped at the dogs. They obliged and headed to the living room, knocking each other against the walls in an attempt to clinch the alpha dog position. When they got there, they peered around the corner into the hall as if they'd done something wrong. Carefully, I slid my right arm under Bates' neck. Her eyes rolled back into her head as she started choking a little bit on blood and soda that had somehow made its way up into her windpipe. My phone rang. I looked over at the toilet. It was the child molester, Dez. I didn't answer it. I'd deal with him later. Don't, she pleaded, falling in and out of consciousness. Don't what, Bait? I need to get you out of here. I bridged her back. What did you do? Just let me be. What are you doing in here, Bait? I placed my left arm under her bent legs. What is all this? Her eyes floated around at their sockets as her breathing became louder and louder. She snorted through her nose and tear ducts, an alternative to the clogged passageways in her lungs. I bent her head upright and firmly pressed on her chest cavity with my palm. I pressed every three seconds, angling upward, trying to dislodge the congestion. After my fifth try, a bubble popped out of her mouth and the wheezing settled. At the same time... I felt the soda bottle's cap spin out of her and smack me on the knee. She began blinking furiously as her skunky hair got stuck in her eyes. Just leave. I brushed the hair clear and put my arm back under her knees. Just leave me alone, she insisted. Slowly, I lifted her up and delicately sidestepped my way out of the bathroom. What are you? What were you doing? Are you trying to kill yourself? She didn't respond immediately. I reached the bedroom and laid her out on top of my bed and covered her with my comforter. Finally, she said, Not me. It. Pico signaled me into the living room as he injected some heroin into Bates' thigh. I patted Bait on the forehead with a warm washcloth and wiped dry blood from her mouth. Are you sure we can leave her? Dragging his gimpy leg, Pico ignored the question and walked into the other room. After I made sure Bait was sleeping and breathing, I followed. I fell back into the couch, exhausted. What is that? For the previous three hours, we had gone through the constant ups and downs of an emergency room that consisted of Bates screaming in pain, not breathing, and hemorrhaging from every orifice on her brittle body. Luckily for Bates and me, old Pico was quite a seasoned physician. I suppose that's how he knew how to break himself in all the right spots whenever he went out on the streets to hunt. She gave herself an abortion, RJ. What? With a soda bottle and a cinder block. Yeah, I had to clean out what was left of it, but she definitely terminated the pregnancy. She almost terminated herself in the process. I was shocked. Are you serious? Where the hell did she learn to do something that stupid? Pico lit a cigarette and threw one to me. 
I imagine she learned it on the internet. It's pretty common for desperate kids to do dumb things like that. Or at least, contemplate it. I lit my grit off a candle I was using to try and get the smells of the day out of my house. Wait, how... How did she get pregnant? Oh, come on, RJ. Don't be so naive. She's a hooker. That's the thing. She told me right before I left the meeting that she never actually hooked. Wait. Is that the right word? Hooked? Well, she got pregnant somehow. She told me that she's been fucking Des and the kids to get a fix. But that couldn't get her knocked up. Pico rolled his eyes. So, that's why you crippled that little prick at the meeting. He wasn't just fucking little girls. He was fucking bait. What's gotten into you? I like the little girl as much as you do, but you can't just go around and kill your own. She's not a pet, RJ. Our own what, Pico? What are we? Do you even know where we come from? You've been around longer than me. At least, that's what I've been led to believe. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. I told all of them the bait was not to be killed, fucked, or fucked with. She was doing our job for us. Our job? You mean our deceit? The drugs aren't ours. They were stolen from the cops, and that means that they were the property of the Battlesnakes. I tilted my head in disbelief. And you think now is a good time to speak out against all of this? We all met and agreed we were going to give that little shit Des his chance. This was his idea, not mine. Pico dragged hard on his cigarette. You're the leader, RJ. He blew out a smoke ring. Therefore, it was your idea, and your decision as far as everyone else was concerned. I slumped back further into the couch, almost attempting to hide. I wish that none of that day. The day Linwood Perry came over and the day Des and I killed the cops and stole the heroin ever existed... As much as I hated to admit it. Pico was right. Who was I to put all of us in so much jeopardy because of some dumb human girl and an even dumber emo sidekick told me to? Nothing would ever be the same again. On top of being completely overwhelmed by the scope of everything, something still itched at the back of my neck. So, Pico. If she was only fucking the Desians, then how did she get knocked up? I mean, I think it's pretty much a known fact that we can't breed. Sure, with a little help we can get hard and calm and all that, but I know we can't reproduce. It's impossible. Isn't it? Well, most people will tell you that it's impossible for us to be walking around at all. But, you and I both know we exist. We think, we move, and we feel. And tell me something I don't know. All of these cherished emotions have done for me has caused me to make horrible decisions. Well, there are two possible scenarios here. Either one of Dez's friends isn't a vampire, or one of them has... evolved. I ashed my butt at him. Horseshit. Horseshit what? That's the only plausible explanation unless the girl is lying to you. She said something to me while I was stitching her up. Which was... She said, You're right, RJ. The world doesn't need any more monsters. Meaning what? I never said anything like that. It means that she was definitely impregnated by one of us. 
To her, we're the monsters. I discounted him again with a wave. Horseshit. The world is filled with monsters. So not every one of them kills other people to get high. How far along was she? <laughs> like that even matters. She could be out hooking when I sleep. Stupid kid is probably too dumb to use condoms. He cupped his cigarette into his hand. I have no idea how far along she was. Her insides looked like a casserole. Why would she lie to you? What could she possibly achieve by getting you to cripple the Desian? She knows you have a temper. She risks getting thrown back out of the streets by telling you his secret. Ash on the floor, you cripple. It's not like this place can get any more jacked up. Nico flicked his cigarette. Anyway, one of us got the girl pregnant. Okay. Let's just say that some of us can reproduce. Wouldn't that mean that there would be some girl vampire things out there somewhere? Shit, the odds say so. Like I said, this is something new. Mm-hmm. Bait moaned from the bedroom. Pico and I both shot up and rushed down the hall, bumping each other just like Leroy and Skillet, who thankfully had been outside enjoying their meals from earlier that day. Bait was turned on her side, reaching for the bath mat that was rolled up on the floor next to the bed. Pico ran to the far side of the bed and rolled her on her back as I grabbed her hand. I want my blanket, she exhaled. At that moment, I felt ashamed that I made a little girl sleep on a rubber bath mat while the person who raped her crashed on a bed in the bedroom next to her. I was just as much a monster as any other knuckler, vampire, gangster, or drug addict. She faded back out as Pico filled her up with more heroin. It was clear that Bate couldn't stay at my house any longer. Especially after what I did to the Desian back at the garage. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chapter 12 Healers The old man helped Bates sip some soup. You know you can't keep her here anymore. She hadn't spoken much since I found her laid out. I didn't blame her. Maybe you can let Eldritch babysit? I mean, take care of her? 
Pico suggested. I pulled the blanket up to her neck. That isn't going to happen. As he pulled a thermometer out of her mouth, Pico said, But you said he liked her. Don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't trust him. I just know that would be the first place Des will go looking for her. I've already put Eldritch in enough jeopardy by using him to traffic the drugs and money. I handed Beta magazine. She nodded her approval. The actor who played her vampire darling, L. Byron Nightshade, was on the cover. He was shirtless. His hair was a mess. He had some smug look on his face, and he was wiping blood off his fangs with the back of a gloved hand. It was ridiculous. I hadn't decided at that point if I necessarily wronged her or not, but since I felt like a dick, I figured why not be nice to her. I grabbed the thermometer and inspected it, as if I had any idea what I was doing or what was the normal temperature for a human being for that matter. I put it down on the nightstand. Bate flipped through the magazine, seemingly oblivious to the danger she faced. I hadn't gotten any response from Dez other than a hang-up. It was now clear that all trust and allegiance between the two of us had dissipated. I was as dead to him as he was to me. Would you be willing to go with her and watch out for her until she's able to get around by herself? Pico scratched his head. Ah, gee, I don't know, RJ. Let me rephrase that. You will stick by her side, and you'll get Tahoe to help you. They're going to find her at my place, or Tahoe's place, just as easy as they would find her here. I slugged him in the arm. You don't think I know that? The knucklers are separated now. I can't take back what I did to that kid, and the Desians can't take back what they did to Bate. I'm still unclear as to how she got pregnant. Bate tugged on my sleeve. I looked at her. Yes? She turned the magazine around so it faced me, and with a trembling finger she pointed to an outfit. Can you get me this, RJ? Doing everything in my power not to slap the magazine out of my face, I looked at Pico. How much heroin did you give her? He held up the empty syringe. A lot. I turned back to bait. Can you let the grown-ups talk now? She dropped the magazine and grabbed her abdomen. Bate furthered the performance by grunting like she had been holding in a deuce for three days. Fine, 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 I agreed. I'll get you the outfit when you get better. Without thanking me, she dog-eared the magazine page and continued browsing. I returned to Pico, who looked to be debating whether or not to flee Bates' bedside so he wouldn't be automatically elected to be responsible for her. Anyway, Pico, I need you and Tahoe to watch over her and hide out at one of the suites with the Batwangers. Are you kidding me? Not at all. I can trust them. For Christ's sakes, I let them sell drugs and bite cocks off in my neighborhood. It's the least they can do for me. I trust Nomi. What could a group of transsexual weirdos do to you, Tahoe, or me? Why can't you just do this? He minimized his voice. And why do you care? There's no need to whisper. She can't hear us. I waved my hand in front of Bates' face. And I care because I care. End of story. She's a little girl. Don't you care about anything? He rubbed his arms. Getting high. That's what I figured. This isn't about being a hero or a savior. It's about what's right. I'm telling you this now. I pointed at Bates' stomach. This should never have happened. I didn't know where my concern for humanity or my sudden humility came from. 
I guess it was the price I had to pay for taking daily shots of blood from a naive and silly little girl. Kiko looked down, almost ashamed. I slapped him back into the conversation. Ow! He cried. Those slaps didn't hurt you, pussy. Look, I've decided on this. I don't know what else to do. He rubbed his jaw like I'd just beaten him with a frying pan. Exaggeration was contagious in the room. You know what you were like when I found you in the street in a garbage bin, RJ? A little twelve-year-old starving baby. If it weren't for me, you would be nothing more than a bag of bones sitting in a landfill somewhere. The same can be said about all you ungrateful pricks. You, Chaho, the rest of them. You all wouldn't even exist if it weren't for me. I pulled him toward me by his shirt and yelled into his eyes. And where were we before that, Pico? Where did we come from to be left on the streets? He avoided my eyes. I, I don't know, he answered. You don't lie very well, old man. To be honest with you, I don't care where we came from at this point. It's my turn to speak, little boy. Please don't lecture me on the right or wrong things to do. I know. He shook himself loose from my grip. I know more than all you self-indulgent pricks. Not one of you has ever thanked me for saving your lives. Thanked you? Thanked you for what? Gee, Pico, thanks for bringing me into a world where I am sentenced to being a drug-addicted killer who is sensitive to light, can't get a hard-on, or live a normal life. I snatched his chin, drew him close to my face so he could see my anger. Look at me. All of us. We survive on the blood of our disgusting victims and fucking narcotics. Tell me, Pico, how is it that the drug seems so much more important than the blood? I've never seen a vampire movie where drugs keep them alive. Rather than ask these questions or even think about them, we simply settle into this justification that it's just the way we are. Well, what is that? What are we? Where do we come from? I took my other palm from the magazine that was pinned to Bates' face. I ran my hand up and down my torso. Do you think I like this? You know what, Pico? I wish you'd left us all in the streets to die. As a matter of fact, I pointed between Bates' legs. I wish that my mother, if I ever had one, which I'll never know had the good sense to jam a fucking soda bottle up inside herself and drop a cinder block on it. Wouldn't that have solved all this misery? He didn't answer. I sighed and patted Bate on the head. Sorry, Bate. She was fast asleep with the magazine covering her face. I'm going to call Nomi. Do me a favor and call Tahoe. All of this isn't going away, and I'm 100% sure that Dan's already ratted us out to Copperhead. Guess what that means, old man? Cobra knows we stole from him by now. I couldn't be happier that someone who was searched high and low for a reason to kill me for years now knows I stole a lot of money from him. The safest place for you to be right now is away from me. Pico did as he was told, began dialing Tahoe's number. He knows more than you think, RJ. He sneered under his breath. Rather than continue my tirade about being a fake human, I dialed Nomi's number. Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else. 
So, finding the perfect place is easier than ever, and so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom, and you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together, but you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them, because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com, the place to find a pet-friendly place. Chapter 13 Angels Wrapped in a blanket and on a bath mat, Bates snored in Tahoe's arms. I rang the doorbell. Are you sure you want to do this, RJ? Tahoe whispered, trying not to wake Bait. Before I got the chance to respond, Pico chimed in. It's the right thing to do, ho. Rather than challenging the plan, the big man nodded his head. Sure, he'd rather been out hunting, lifting weights or whatever he did in his spare time, but I think I did a concrete job convincing them both that we all had a certain obligation. It was something beyond the self-serving addiction that kept us alive. One of the batwangers answered the Christmas light-covered steel door. Leave it to the batwangers to be seasonably festive. I extended my hand to shake. I'm here to see Nomi. He ignored my gesture and invited us inside. Decorated top to bottom like an oddball 60s science fiction movie circa Barbarella, the wanger's lair, or brothel, was action-packed with characters for the set. We were escorted toward Nomi's Queen's Den, filling the hallways with a strange reverberation of operatic new wave and techno music. It sounded more like whale mating sampled over the breakbeats than cohesive music. Pulsating buttons and control panels lined the walls. As we passed rooms, batwangers came out in silver and gold-stretched catsuits, winking and making passing comments at Tahoe. Did you bring room service, big man? One of them asked. Tahoe responded, She's not food, referring to the sleeping bait. Tuck it back in your pants. I commended him by slapping him on the ass. Good job, Tahoe. That's what you say until you hear otherwise. As the halls warped and webbed toward the end, Nomi's door slid open like an airlock on a spaceship. Darker than the rest of the house, the room sat as the centralized decorative parasite, seemingly infecting everything else it touched. Cables dripping with green ooze and neon and plastic-encased wiring sprouted out into the halls like the limbs of alien creatures. Knowing of Nomi's multiple connections in the Hollywood world, I would have been surprised if his portion of the house was designed by a special effects artist who happened to go missing when the interior design was complete. Our greeter stopped at the door and gracefully ushered us in. Please, have a seat. Nomi is expecting you. He then pointed us to a fabricated Martian tentacle that crossed the room and beveled near our end of Nomi's centerpiece, his bed. The four of us did as we were instructed and sat down. Nomi's bed was truly something to behold. 
obviously playing off the giant foreign insect theme while keeping the whole H.R. Giger decor intact, the bed was an enormous canopy. Spinning around the black support poles were more living cables that were using hydraulics to create a breathing effect. It didn't look like anything was bought from Home Depot. The canopy top was more of a web that pulsated inward and outward and wove itself in a circular pattern as if it were powered by a motor. It was the most unique piece in the room because, although I was sure it wasn't a projection, I had no earthly idea how it was spinning itself from nothing to a fully woven web and then back to nothing. I think Tahoe was trying to peek behind the bed to get the upper hand on any giant trained tarantulas that were planning a surprise attack. Even though I thought it was indeed unique and cool, it just seemed like more of the eldritch and King Cobra pyrotechnics and theatrics than anything else. But in Nomi's defense, he was a very high-priced transgender prostitute, and I always gave his grandiose stagecraft a free pass. Eldritch and Cobra, on the other hand, had no excuse beyond being failed performers. Bate woke up and rubbed her eyes. What the hell is this? She tightened into Tahoe's cradle. Are we dead, RJ? No, you're not dead. Nomi appeared from a second room off to the side of the bed. Judging from his elaborate outfit, I guessed he was appearing magically from the wardrobe where he was going to make changes between performances. In reality, it was a walk-in closet he was hiding in so he could make an extravagant entrance after he knew we had a minute to take in the mothership. This is cool, Bates said, trying desperately to glance at every piece in the room. Nomi walked over to Bate and Tahoe and ran his fingers through Bates' greasy, blood-encrusted hair. He wore a leather, form-fitted battle suit that left none of his curves to the imagination, including his boobs and cock. The futuristic witch garb was accentuated with an enormous collar that reflected the interwoven webbing on top of the bed and ended in a lengthy train of steel worms. He wore smiked gloves and buckled moon boots that lit up with bright red lights on the soles. His eyelashes were also spiked, and they popped out from the light blue makeup covering his face. In the center of the makeup, one sparkling silver stripe crossed the tip of his nose at an angle from the bottom of one ear to the fake pointed tip of the other. His lipstick was the same shade as the stripe, though it was difficult to judge the palette due to the chappy after-effects of collagen abuse. Light, he called out. Our greeter scampered over and lit a bright red cigarette that was extended six inches by a holder. Leave us, Nomi instructed the concierge who bowed to each of us, then backed out of the room to a secret entrance. His mirrored platform shoes clunked across the disco-throbbing floor. Nomi's hands moved to Bates' breasts. He cupped them. He cupped them, shook off his hands almost immediately, and then proceeded to measure Bates' arm tone using a skinfold caliper around her bicep. Pico looked at me puzzled and wriggled his shoulders. What? He mouthed. I ignored him. I suppose I should have told him in Tahoe how I arranged the meeting. Okay, Biggins, Nomi said to Tahoe. Now let's see his rocket. Tahoe looked at Bate and looked back at him. Come on, big boy. Let's see the dick. As Nomi reached over to unwrap the blanket, Bate swatted at his twirling neon fingernails. Ain't got no dick, Bate yelled. Nomi spiraled around to address me. RJ... Before he reached my line of view, his leather and steel train got stuck in one of the canopy poles. 
He immediately tugged it free, almost causing him to lose his balance. RJ, what is this? This little boy won't do. Bate yelled again. I ain't got a dick because I... <laughs> Taking a cue from me, Tahoe covered her mouth. Pico started to look around the room for an escape route. He fixated on the hidden wall that the helper exited from. Too bad for all of us, we were already trapped in my perpetual laundry list of lies. Nomi hovered backward, then took a seat on the bed. He sat as gently as he walked. Does anyone want to tell me what the fuck is going on here? Pico, Bate, and Tahoe looked to me for answers. Bate waved at me. She was still in pain and completely jacked up on drugs. Nomi snapped his fingers. Anyone answer? Besides R.J. Reynolds. He stood up and began pacing in front of us like a schoolhouse principal that was disciplining a gang of unruly hooligans. He pressed a button on the glove of his left hand that flicked out a Swiss Army cyborg-like ashtray. Impressed, Pico nodded his head. After ashing his smoke, Nomi continued, How is it that R.J. Reynolds called me a few hours ago and told me that he found a new member for my... He stopped and took a drag from the long fire stick. Group. He started pacing again. How is it that you three idiots walked into my house with a human teenager? Not just any human teenager, mind you. A female human teenager. Bate managed to inch out through a gap in Tahoe's fingers. Oh yeah, you're one of them dick eaters. Ignoring the ridiculous child, Nomi stopped directly in front of me and puffed away. Correct her, he advised. I cleared my throat. It might have been a laughable situation if we weren't sitting in the dead center of twenty bloodthirsty she-males. <clears throat> Bate, it's, uh, it's bat-wangers. Nomi shuffled back to me. Since they won't talk, this brings me back to you, R.J. Reynolds. I tickled my chin with the back of my hand. Um, funny thing, Nomi. He bent down and touched noses with me. His eyelashes batted mine. Before I had a chance to stand up, he spit his cigarette across the room and planted his strong hands on my knees. As the ashtray retracted into its home within the wrist of his glove, two sharp spikes popped out of his thumbs. He leaned forward with his hands and the blades edged my penis. His hot breath let out his last drag. What thing? His low, smooth voice belted my ears and made me wonder... Who could ever think this was a woman? Well, the funny thing is that I lied, I confessed. I need your help. He fluttered his eyelashes again, dragging them down my cheeks. Bate, who I could always count on to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, sang out, I'm not a boy! The steel thumbnails inched closer to my stick, ready to shish-kebab it at any second. Shut up, Miss Thing. Nomi lashed back, unfazed by Bates' babbling. He stared into my eyes, looking for another lie. Why do you need my help, RJ? I had to lie, Nomi. I put my hands up to surrender. Let me get something out of my bag. He stalled for a minute and then retracted the spikes. The sweat from my brow mixed with his mascara and slid down my face onto my neck. He stood up and instructed me to do the same. Keeping my hands visible at all times to prove I had nothing up my sleeve, I pulled my backpack off my shoulders and then dropped it to my feet. 
proceed? Nomi allowed. I bent down and unzipped the bag. Nomi extended his long neck over to try and catch a glimpse of the contents. There better not be a gun in there, or my bitches will be in here. No gun. Or weapon, I assure you. I reached down into the bag. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Tahoe and Pico also trying to get a bird's eye view of the mystery the backpack contained. I pulled it out and lofted it to Nomi. He flinched and the bag landed on the bed next to him. He pressed it to his nose and sniffed it. Heroin? I rested my elbow on my knee and felt around my crotch to make sure everything was still intact. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pound of the cleanest shit I've ever come across. First, Nomi judged the weight by balancing the bag between both of his hands. Then, he sliced open the corner for a little taste of the pony. He swished it around in his mouth like he was in wine country and then swallowed. It's good, he concluded. What do I want with this? It's a pound of heroin. With it, I give you and the rest of your crew free reign to distribute anywhere you want in knuckle or territory. You've always wanted in on the action. What? Tahoe and Pico yelled in unison. RJ, what the hell are you doing? Tahoe added. I put my hand up to silence their concerns. Nomi's face showed signs of warming. A barely visible smirk could almost be seen behind the bloated lips. Hmm. And what do I have to do for you to be honored with such a privilege? I sensed cynicism in his voice, but I needed his help. Besides, the Batwangers could eat the four of us alive. I played to his female sign, pointing to bait. This little girl was raped, and she gave herself an abortion with a soda bottle. She's 13 years old, and I'm concerned that she'll get killed if she stays with me any longer. Bait waved at Nomi. Nomi walked back over to Bait. As if that weren't obvious when you walked in here. This must be that hooker you brought to King Cobra on Halloween? The one you begged and pleaded for with him? How humane of you, RJ. Nomi put his hands around Bait's head and cupped her ears. Then he moved down to her thighs like he had with me. He didn't bother with the blades. Go on. I cleared my throat. A snot rocket was whistling up and down inside my face. Just please let them... Them? Yeah. Pico, Tahoe, the girl. Please let them stay here, out of sight until I can get this nightmare sorted out. Nomi patted Bait on the hips and got back up. I need to make sure we're all on the same page here, RJ. You want me to take this fruity old man, the roided-out retard, and this thirteen-year-old hooker, human hooker, and in return I get to deal the heroin that you stole from King Cobra and have been hiding with Eldritch and dealing not very secretly in Culver City? A jittery feeling of surprise slammed through my neck and titillated my armpits. Rather than respond to the reading of my death certificate, I remained fossilized with my elbow on my knee. Come on, RJ, don't be so shocked. You didn't think I knew all of that. Nomi put his hands up like puppets and made them talk to each other. How could I possibly know that? One hand said. I don't know. Aren't you just some stupid faggot bitch? The other hand responded. He slapped them together making boom sounds with his mouth. Isn't that right? 
Isn't that what you knuckle fuckers have called me for years? More ashamed at that moment than surprised that our extra stealth operation had been exposed, I simply admitted to him. Yes. You. He dragged his finger down the line, starting with me, to Pico, and finally to Tahoe. You all think you're doing us a favor by letting us live and hunt in your precious territory. You are the most evil and hurtful of all of us. You simply don't care at all. When you need something, though, you come crying to us with stories of the inhumanity you suffer beside us. Well, guess what, bitches? I'm a vampire, too. I don't want it. He threw the heroin back to me. I will let them hide here, and I won't turn the little whore out. Me! Bate waved again, smiling. I don't want your pity drugs, RJ. Nomi, please let me pay you back somehow. He surged back into my face. What's the matter? Does the big badass RJ Reynolds have feelings? He shoved me on the shoulders. Don't act like you care. If it's not the knucklers who wipe us out, it will be BBP. If it's not those dandies, it will be the battle snakes. It doesn't mean anything. Besides, you already paid for this favor. How so? Pico asked. Nomi rolled around the bedpost until he landed flat out on the bed. The metal tails followed him, slithering around the room. Are oh, you really that dumb old man? I stood up. I'm not following either. Nomi pulled a stainless steel compact from his pocket and tugged out a nose hair. You don't really think I'm the only one who knows about your mystery powder, do you? I looked at him confused. Oh, come on, RJ. I thought you were a little smarter than that. Surely you must have had some inkling in your bloated belly that King Cobra knew about all this. I swallowed the snot rocket. Fear unlocked it from my nasal passage. Actually, no. The way I look at it, your territory becomes our territory pretty soon. Those drugs will make their pretty little way into my house soon enough. Chapter 14 Mongrels Copperhead's Escalade sat purring in my front yard. Not in front of my house. Not in the driveway where you'd expect a guest to park. Not even at the curb in front of my house. It was literally in the front yard. Rather than confront my enemies without a plan, knowing how well my plans came together, I hid across the street out of the range of eyes and ears behind two garbage bins and a blue recycling bin. I'd been frozen in that same position for the better part of a half hour, waiting for him and whoever else tagged along with him to realize that the drugs and money weren't anywhere to be found inside. They must have pulled in quick, expecting to catch me off guard. I didn't know why they picked today of all days to collect their stolen property. What an amazing and uplifting week I was having. 
After about 15 or so minutes longer, four of them burst out of the front door, kicked down my mailbox after checking it, hopped in the car and peeled out down the street. Not that I had a yard crew, but they left my front yard looking worse than usual, like the track of a demolition derby. Once I saw their taillights blaze down Melrose going east, I prowled around the house to see if they left someone to ambush me from inside. The dogs were quiet, and after I felt safe enough that there were no snakes rattling around in my house, I entered through the front door since it was nicely kicked off the hinges for me. My place was beyond trashed. I bent over right near the entrance to survey what was left of my 45 collection. Nothing but jagged pieces, empty syringes and record adapters. All the couches were shredded and stuffing littered the floor. My kitchen, which normally remained clean from Desi and Diligence, exceeded disarray. Whatever kind of tough shit life I led, if it could even be called life, was rampaged by my enemies. As I entered my room exhausted, I felt that maybe I still wasn't even with the battle snakes. After all, because of me, their whole compound got torched and a lot of their people got killed. My dumb collectibles weren't worth as much as solid gold chairs and wall-sized murals. Or lives. My room seemed to follow the same theme of destruction. The only thing still intact, and that didn't rest on the edge of the newly formed sinkhole in the middle of the room was Bates' stupid bath mat. On top of the mat was the necklace she made after she helped herself to my titanium 45 adapter and her junior high identification card. Her picture on the card was fuzzy and her face was hidden behind her hair. It read, Balia Jenkins, 7th grade, Skyline Junior High School, Peoria, Arizona. I stuffed both the ID card and the necklace into my back pocket. When she woke up from her abortion days, she'd want them. Why not give them back to her? After all, I had nothing left anyway. And then, when I didn't think I could possibly feel any worse about myself, I opened Bates' bathroom door. There they were. My dogs. My friends. Were both left in my bathroom like two sacks of shit the belts still tight around their necks. The force of the strangulation unlatched Skillet's eyes from their sockets, and I believed he chewed through his tongue in an attempt to get at the belt and gnaw it free from his neck. His body was contorted and still. The only part of him moving was the grumbling of his burst internal organs. Leroy, the much larger and longer of the two, being that he was a Great Dane, suffered a worse fate. His ribcage was smashed from the first bone down to the last. In the middle of his chest was a timbrel and boot print that sank all the way through his body, crushing the skin of his chest against that of his back. The thick tread of the boots actually wore completely through parts of Leroy's skin, but I could see the pattern of the floor tile through his blood. Probably because he kicked and fought with his long legs, the snakes broke them all and then folded them to the floor like he was a car table left on the curb for a garbage man. Being more torturous than necessary, they poked around at his head for some reason after they gouged his eyes inward. After I figured out which parts of their bodies went where, 
It became clear to me that the killer strangled Leroy with so much hatred that his force twisted the poor dog's head around backward and crumbled every bone in his neck. The neck didn't support his huge head anymore, causing it to fall wherever it landed. I dropped to the same floor where just days earlier I found the bloody bait. I pulled both dogs towards me as I pleaded with them not to be dead. I scratched them both behind the ears and petted them on their backs, trying to get them to scratch at their special spots. I put Leroy's head in my lap, but it slipped between my legs, getting no support from his rubbery neck. I cradled Skillet close and put my palm on his heart, hoping that he would scratch or snore a thump or something. All I could think about was every time I did something mean to them. Like pretending to throw a stuffed animal so I could get a cheap laugh at how dumb they were to chase something that was still in my hand. I pulled out from under their corpses and for some reason I ran down the decimated hallway hoping they would follow me. They didn't. They were gone. I would have given to hear one of them whine, bark, or gallop around. I wanted them to anxiously sit as they waited for a treat. I stared at them from the end of the hall. I kept telling myself that if I looked at them long enough, they would roll over, stand up and pant as they blinked their doughy eyes. I knelt on my butt, begging, Please get up, Leroy. I have a steak for you. Skillet. Skillet, my little monster, please come and get the steak. Leroy, you want a coordinated dig bat? Come wrestle. As I tried to turn away, I noticed a piece of paper speared by one of Leroy's long, broken legs. I took my time walking back, knowing it was the last time I would ever see either of them. The memory of Skillet's yelp when I smashed him into the turntable volleyed back and forth between my heart and my eardrums. The image of him scampering to follow bait into the bathroom played, paused on him shooting me a disgusted look, and then rewound and played again. It was now a loop of my last living memory I had with the two sweetest gentle giants that had ever walked the face of the earth. I got on my knees one last time and patted them on the snout. I grabbed the note. We know you have Cobra, and we know you stole our drugs. Get it, Knuckler. Without spending a second thinking about why the Battlesnakes thought I had Cobra, I went out to the tool shed and got four or five-gallon cans of gas. I poured it everywhere in my house. Wait her house. It was the first thing I ever took that signaled I was off the streets. I lit it up. I was back to being a city rat. No home. No friends. No life.
Chapter 15 Jesters I jumped on the closest MTA as three fire engines roared by. I needed to head back to West Hollywood. I called Tahoe and Root. What? He asked. They killed my dogs. Um, the other part. What other part, fucker? They killed Leroy and Skillet. I scooted my butt to the very end of the plastic bus seat because the great big fat person next to me was taking up more than his fare of room. Not only should he have paid for two people, he was chowing on fast food, which was also looked down on when riding Los Angeles's top-notch public transport. They left a note that said they know we have Cobra. I continued to tell Tahoe, barely avoiding hanging up my phone as my co-chair lifted his arm to grab a bite of his burrito. Tahoe thought on the other end of the line for a minute, then dumbly asked, Do we? What do you think, you huge dumbass? How in the hell could I have possibly kidnapped a massive Rastafarian who was closely guarded in a compound? Better question. Why would I kidnap him at all? Besides, I've been with you losers for the last few days. Oh, yeah. Right. My phone buzzed. Just a second, someone's trying to call me. I clicked over. Hello? It's me. Dez. Where the fuck have you been, asshole? I am going to fucking kill you when I find your little ass. Your goddamn friends killed my dogs, motherfucker. They killed my dogs. I can't wait to kill them. I can't wait to look in your eyes as I tear off your cock and then pound it into your mouth. Do you think that it's cool to rape a little girl? Did you think... I think we'd need to put that on the back burner, he said. The phone shuffled around on his end. Copperhead spoke. Reynolds, did you get the message? Yes, assface. What reason did you have to kill my dogs? Jesus, dude, I have no idea where Cobra is. You killed my dogs. He paused to suck on what I imagined was a joint and then exhaled. We know you have him. I seriously don't have him. What would I do with him? You have our drugs and our money. Are you serious? You killed my dogs over some drugs that never even belonged to you. Listen, I think long and hard before you use any words. We want Cobra Buck, and then we'll give you Dez Buck. I call this bluff. I don't want Dez. The only reason I still wanted Dez around was to kill that little asshole myself. We see you with Cobra, our money, and what's left of our heroin in an hour. Here. The bus announced my stop. Trying to hold on to my phone and get past the humongoloid sitting next to me, I accidentally dumped a large box of fries on the floor. Hey! He cried out as his tennis racket-sized hands fluttered around trying to beat the five-second floor rule. He shoved a handful of dirt-covered potatoes into his mouth. Hey, what, fat boy? I jammed his head into a sign that clearly said that there was no boom boxes, food, drink, or smoking permitted on the bus. Next to everything else prohibited was a picture of a dog. 
that sign said, no pets. Who'd you call a fat boy, motherfucker? Copperhead yelled in my ear. Some jackass on the bus. Listen, Reynolds. We want Cobra and all the property in an hour. A shuffling sound, and then Dez got back on, his voice trembling. What did you do with Cobra? I didn't do anything with him. Maybe if you bothered to come to our meeting the other night, you would have known that, you chicken shit little asshole. The longer this lasts, the worse it's going to be for you. Look, bro, they are about to kill me, and they already torched the garage. What? Was anybody there? I don't know. They picked me up on Sunset yesterday. Where have you been for the past few days? No one has heard anything from you. Never mind, asshole. I told him, hiding my involvement with Bait and her abortion. Who are you with? He asked. I haven't seen anyone for days. Oh, like I'm going to tell you that when you're sitting right in front of them. Tahoe and Pico were fine. I don't know about any of the others. Get here, RJ. This is bad. They've known about the stolen drugs the entire time. Thanks, fucker. I'm not going to turn you over to them anyway. That would be far too nice of me. They killed my dogs. I hung up. The fat ass that was sitting next to me had a fast food napkin shoved into his nose. I patted him on the back. Sorry, mate. You caught me on a very bad day. Jerk, he said as the bus started to slow to my stop. I looked at him, flinched at him with my fist, and then exited the bus. The Battlesnakes had known about the drugs the entire time. It must have been fun for them to see us scramble around and sell drugs just so they could sweep in at the end and grab all the profit. The only thing that left me baffled was the whereabouts of Cobra. The only person I knew who could even put up anything that resembled a fight with Cobra was Eldritch. Hopefully, the Battlesnakes didn't know about his involvement at all. Pico and Tahoe greeted me outside the mothership that was the Batwanger's whorehouse. Pico ran his fingers through what was left of his hair on the sides of his head. Where do you think Cobra is hiding? I thought thinking about my murdered dog so I wouldn't give in to my softness. It was time for me to put on a leader's face. I have no idea. The only two people I know who are strong enough to get him on the ground are you or Eldritch. I slapped Tahoe on the butt. Judging from the eyeliner and blush on his face, I guess that Batwangers were having a good time with him. Since Tahoe is here and Eldritch is an enormous pussy, I don't have a clue where he is. Strained by the situation, Tahoe grumbled, probably hoping I wouldn't take note of his glittering lip gloss. Then where is he? Sounds like a setup. No shit, it's a setup. I rubbed my palm down his face. For God's sake, you look like a female bodybuilder. He buffed his forearms across his face. But we were just having some fun with the kid. Thank you, but dress up is over, I said. Now clean it off, you're coming with me. But I want to die. I shoved him back toward the door and kicked him in the rump. Go clean it off. If I have to die, then so do you. Besides, you're already dead, Juicehead. Think of it this way. 
you'll be putting your simple brain to rest. But, but, nothing. Go wipe it off. He spit on his hand and wiped his face. It, it won't come off. Jesus, go ask one of the queers for makeup remover or something. With his face half covered by the collar of his t-shirt, Tahoe reluctantly headed back into the house. This is a bad idea, RJ. I agree with the big man. This is the most obvious trap ever. Who cares about Dez? You said this whole fiasco was his idea to begin with. Let him suffer the consequences. Let's get the knucklers together and go over their full force. At least we'd have a fighting chance. I smacked the old man on the back of his head. They destroyed my house and the garage. Who knows if any knucklers even exist anymore outside from Dez and the three of us. Besides, I agreed to steal the drugs and, like you said, I'm the leader. It's just as much my fault. I want to kill Dez myself. Forget all this brother bullshit. They killed my dog's Pico. He raped a little girl. This kid has become more than a thorn in my side. I want him dead. And leaving him to the snakes is not my idea of justice. You're not going to make it out. Maybe. I give them this. I shook the bag on my back that had the last pound of stolen heroin in it. I tell them that I'll get the money. Do me a huge favor. Try and get a hold of Eldridge and tell him to drop all the money. Should, should I tell him the situation? Pico asked. Don't tell him anything. Just tell him to drop the money. His involvement in this is nothing beyond helping me out. He knew this was a horrible idea to begin with. Relatively passive about the situation, he asked. What if you don't come back? I am coming back, but thanks for the concern. Do you really think I'm going to leave your pedophile ass with a 13-year-old girl? Oh. And give me this. I grabbed the 45 insert necklace out of my pocket and dropped it in his hand. I kept her school ID card. What's this? It's some dumb thing she made. I found it back at what was my house. Well, what should I tell her? You know, if you don't come back. Don't tell her anything. And please, Pico, don't let the Batwangers turn her out or anything. Okay? But why? Just don't. If we don't come back, grab the little shit and get out of here. Go see Eldritch. I don't care. If I get killed and all the rest of us are dead, then wangers can do whatever they want. Take her and leave. Pico reached in for a hug. I promise. I crossed my arms over my chest, avoiding his attempt to cuddle. Come on, dude, I'm coming back. They want their money more than anything else. Surely they will have no problem handing Dez over to me. They don't care about him. What are you going to tell them about Cobra? Shit. I might as well tell them that I have him in a safe place or something. He massaged the sides of his head. Do you think they'll believe that? Who cares? Besides, the money is the only bargaining chip I really have. I refuse to believe that Copperhead cares if Cobra is missing or not. If Cobra is dead, that makes Copper in charge of Los Angeles. 
That sneaky little tool probably killed him in his sleep and dumped him in the L.A. River. Let me just focus on getting Des back and then give them their money. If they don't kill us right away, we'll have the opportunity to man up and leave town or whatever. He pulled on his hair. Where will we go? There are 49 other states. Each of those states has drugs, streets, and crooks. We'll be fine. Tahoe came out of the whorehouse. His face was rubbed red from trying to strip the makeup off and smeared with a mundry of colors and sparkles. He rolled his shoulders and ripped the sleeves off his shirt. While discarding the sleeves on the ground, he flexed his biceps. I picked a plastic star off his cheek. <laughs> that ain't gonna make you look tough, dude. Are you sure you don't have any change, Tahoe? He tried to dig his big flapjack hands into his tight jeans. Evaluating from the back, I decided that all of his pockets had holes in them. Coming up empty, he said, I don't have any money. Shocking. I dumped five bones into the bus's pay station. That's the great thing about Los Angeles' transit system. If you don't have exact change, you're pretty much ass-fucked. Tahoe and I headed to the back of the nearly empty bus that took us directly down Santa Monica Boulevard. At first, Tahoe tried to sit next to me on the two-seater metal and plastic seat. What are you doing? This isn't a love seat. I shoved him off and pointed to the front of the bus. There's barely anyone on here. He broke his fall with a handrail. I figured you wanted to talk. We can talk across the aisle. Are you five years old? You're like 300 pounds and you have sexy alien makeup smeared all over your face. We're already drawing way too much attention to ourselves. Fine, I'll stand. If that's what you want, crybaby. He thumped his left bicep with his index finger and then, in a huff, he chose a seat. Do you have any heroin? I patted the backpack. Yeah, I got a pound still in my bag that we're going to use to trade for Des. I feel really weak. So did I. I needed to get high to replenish my body fluids. We don't have any blood or anything, I pointed out. Tahoe pointed with his head out the entirety of the bus. <sighs> he grunted. On my side of the bus sat a mid-twenties Hispanic chick listening to her iPod and reading a book, and the driver. On Tahoe's side, there was an Orthodox Jewish couple and a vagrant with a handheld pocket radio firmly pressed against his ear. There really isn't anyone to kill on here, I told him. I'm not killing the girl. Looks like she just got off work. I pointed to the apron on her lap. I'm not killing the Jews. They're way too old and dusty. I have all the bum. Him? Maybe. He looks weak, but... Before I could finish my sentence, he pulled the cord, signifying that he was getting off the bus. If he only knew how lucky he was. Tahoe began standing. Should we get off? I grabbed him by his t-shirt and pulled him back down to his seat. Sit down. We just got on the bus. We have to go downtown. I'm not going to get off and kill this guy and stand around waiting for another bus. You have gotten soft. I slapped him from his chest up to his chin. Soft how? Soft because I don't want to kill some girl who just worked like 20 hours to support her family? Or soft because I don't want to kill some crusty old couple who want to get home after temple? 
He relaxed in his seat. Just soft. The old RJ would have killed all of them for fun. We'll find some rats or something once we get downtown. He cracked his knuckles. I ain't eating no rats. What choice do we have, asshole? He nodded toward the front of the bus again. I surveyed the vehicle. The driver? Yeah. Justification for killing was always such a curious thing. I always validated killing people to support my habit. My life force by seeking out the slimiest cocksuckers I could. It was usually an honor bestowed upon thieves, pimps, gangsters, and the like. I didn't regularly just kill anyone unless they wronged me or the rest of the world in some way. Mizuko and Brianna at the gym were a little different. He deserved to die for being an a-hole, and I suppose she was guilty by association. So, I guessed by association, technically... The bus driver was guilty of working with the Mass Transit Authority and dicking me out of 250. After all, he could have at least tried to make change for me when he saw Tahoe and me scrambling through our pockets. Setting some conditions, I told Tahoe, I'm not soft. He's yours. But we have to ride the bus until everyone gets off. If we hit the end of the line and there are people on the bus, we're eating rats. He agreed as he pulled a hand-grip wrist and forearm exerciser out of the front of his pants. I was amazed that he had room for them, considering his jeans appeared to be sprayed on. Astonished, I asked him, They still make those things? He pressed the grip with his right hand and then flipped it over to his left and pressed it again as if he'd been waiting for this moment in front of a mirror his entire life. Yeah, he said casually. What of it? No reason, really. I just didn't think they made those cheese ball things anymore. He stopped pumping, swung the circle part of the device around his finger, and re-gripped it like he was a gunslinger. Yep, they still make them. Gets me totally psyched. I laughed. <laughs> All that growth hormone you shoot is really messing up your brain, man. I grabbed the toy out of his hand and squeezed it. These things don't even do anything. He nabbed it back. Gets me pumped. He remained silent as the Jewish couple got off the bus just outside of Hancock Park, followed by the Hispanic girl in K-Town. We waited to see if anyone else got on the bus, and as soon as we started to see the projects on the skirts of downtown, I signaled to Tahoe. He blasted out as he fell over into the center aisle. He grabbed his stomach and belted again. Startled, the bus driver looked into the huge rearview mirror. What's going on back there? This guy's hurt! I shouted back as if I didn't know Tahoe. It should have been pretty obvious to the driver that we did indeed know each other since we'd been sitting next to each other talking for the better part of a half hour. Stupidly, he pulled the bus to the side of the road between Figueroa and Grant. Unlike most cities, Los Angeles' downtown area was completely vacant on most nights after the sun went down unless there was a Lakers or Kings game or a big concert at the Staples Center. We were lucky. It wasn't one of those nights. Help, mister! Tahoe cried out as he started to crawl to the front of the bus. I had to give him credit. His acting performance was pretty convincing. Must have been all the prep work he did with his masturbation machine thing. Without bothering to call dispatch, the driver rushed back to Tahoe. As he bent over to see what all the ruckus was about, he was snapped underneath Tahoe like a rat in a trap. 
The big man put his hand over the driver's mouth as he shoved his index finger up to his own mouth. Shh, Tahoe whispered. More than overpowered, the scrawny bus driver lay under Tahoe and shivered. Quietly, he said, We don't carry any money. Please, I have a family. As the one-man wrecking crew turned the driver over so he was face down, he planted his face into the grimy and moldy bus floor. All the driver could do was kiss a day's worth of shoe sludge. I cooked up some powder on my spoon as quickly as possible and threw in a cotton ball to soak up the sugar. Tahoe spoke into the driver's ear, reassuring him that everything was going to be fine. Jumping the gun a little, as the drugs weren't fully cooked, I slurped as much of the liquid into my needle and threw it to Tahoe, which, of course, he caught with his teeth like a pirate. Knowing that he didn't need my help to get his desserts, I let him take care of the driver himself as I cooked up my share. Before the driver had a chance to call out for help, Tahoe manhandled his arms like a doll by bending them backwards until they unhinged from the torso. Tahoe firmly pressed his knee into the man's neck and snapped it sideways. He was dead instantly. And while we normally kept our prey alive until we were both high, drastic times called for drastic measures. While the driver's heart let out a few last beats, I sipped my heroin into another syringe and grabbed my arm bong from Tahoe just as he adjusted his weight, injected his drugs into the arm, and snapped the knuckle off with his teeth. I turned my arm upright so as not to spill the blood everywhere, injected my needle into the wrist, snapped the knuckle off, and followed suit. Knowing time wasn't something we had on our side, we took a seat next to each other and slugged away at our arms. Feeling too guilty to cheer Tahoe for his hard work, I went about finishing the deed. There was no time to sit back and enjoy the nectar. I looked at the limp body of the driver spilling blood all over the center of the bus. Shit, I said. It was either him or us. Right? I mean... I mean, kinda. Tahoe didn't answer. After we were satisfied and refreshed, we turned off the bus's hazard lights, shut it down, and closed the doors behind us. The rest of the journey to the Battlesnake's compound was on foot. If you enjoyed tonight's story, please be sure to join us again next week for the continuation of Drew Stepek's Knuckle Supper. Knuckle Supper, Ultimate Gutter Fix Edition and its critically acclaimed sequel, Knuckleballed, are available now from Bloodbound Books. Also, please consider making a donation to Children of the Night today and help end teen prostitution and human trafficking. Children of the Night is a privately funded non-profit organization established in 1979 with the specific purpose of providing intervention in the lives of children who are sexually exploited and vulnerable to or involved in prostitution and pornography. Visit childrenofthenight.org for more information today. From author Drew Stepik and all of us here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, thanks for listening and for your support.
For more than 20 years, Drew Stempek has written, produced, and directed for the publishing, online, and entertainment industries. Drew has worked for Film Threat, Sci-Fi Universe, Wild Cartoon Kingdom, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Saturday Night Live, The Profiler, The Pretender, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and ESPN. In the past ten years, the author ventured into creative directing and ideation roles involving entertainment and technology marketing for Davy Brown Entertainment and Straight Up Technologies. In 2012, Stebek took a position as the head of branded entertainment for Machinima. He has also been a creative director at Awesomeness TV and is currently the head of integrated marketing at All Deaf Media. Born in Royal Oak, Michigan, Stepek moved around a bit as a young man and finally found his home in Hollywood, California in 1994. Stepek attended Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. His first novel, Godless, was released 666, June 6, 2006, and has since captured a strong underground following. Currently, Stepek is working on the sequels to Knuckle Supper and Knuckle Bald. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please, leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, and if you could, please leave a kind word or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, 
You'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.